We will continue our study of Elijah. Just to give you the refresher, a couple uh, weeks ago, or we've been studying, uh, God carried Elijah or took Elijah to this widow in Zarephath, and uh, he had provided already for Elijah through ravens and brooks, and then um, through this widow's uh, meager offering, remember her last meal of flour and oil, and uh, she gave that to Elijah, and God sustained the widow and her son and the prophet Elijah, and uh, Elijah was glad for that. They were provided by God in just a miraculous way. Um, but all things don't end well all the time, at least in the short term. And so as I hinted to last week, this widow and her son who God spared, remember she was making the last meal before they were going to die, we're going to find out today he dies after all, but not for starvation, but because of some sickness or illness, we're not told exactly what it is. So with that in mind, I want you to think for a moment, this may not be pleasant, but I want you to think of your funeral, okay? And not an elo- I'm, not, I'm not talking eloquent, like, what are they going to say and this or that? Like, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, I don't, I, I, this is not, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but one of you may be the next funeral I do. Does that make sense? Or it could be me and one of you will do my funeral. But that day will come when each one of us will die. And the Bible says after that, face judgment. And uh, each funeral is a little different. I've done enough through the years that they're unique and they're similar in, in many ways. And there's uh, times when you are comforting the family of the loved one that's been lost. Um, there's times when you're um, encouraging the family and the one that passed away we know is with the Lord because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There are other times you do a funeral and you're not so sure about that faith. But that's the question is not just the funeral, but what happens after the funeral. By the time you get to the funeral, that person's not there anymore, right? Their ashes may be, their body may be. But they're off to eternity, one way or another, heaven or hell. And uh, so it's good to think about these things. It's good. I'm glad that there's passages like today's uh, passage that call our attention to that because we don't like to think about that. And we specifically don't like to think about what happens after that sometimes. Now, I have, I've told you before, I know where I'm ending up, and that's because of what Christ did, not because of anything I've done. And you need to have that confidence too, and you can. But in this passage, we have... A widow who had already, you know, resigned herself, I think, to her death and their child's death, given a second chance or given another chance with the provision of God. And then when we pick it up in verse 17, uh, it doesn't end the way you might write the storybook ending, right? So let's look at this. First Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who had owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. And he took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, you have brought tragedy even on This widow I am staying with by causing her son to die. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out loud, Lord, my God, let the boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry 
and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord, and that, sorry, the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Okay, let's pray. God, please again teach us from uh, this passage um, how we can trust you with life and death. God, that we can uh, look to you, cry out to you even when we don't know the answers, God. Thank you for all this. I pray that as we study this word, it hits our hearts in a way that draws closer to you um, or to you for the first time, perhaps, God. I just pray that you would be glorified in all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to, the outline was difficult for me this week. It kind of jumps around a little bit. So I want you to think about you're, you're ready to watch a play. And there's seven acts to this play or seven scenes to this play. So I've given you seven points, okay? And there's no intermission, so you're just going to have to suck it up and get through the whole thing. But there's just these little snippets, these little uh, photographs of, of what is happening in the story. And so the first point I have is we have a dead child, Okay. Sometime later, verse 17 tells us, we're not sure how long. Um, it's, it's probably, we, we think, less than three years because, remember, it didn't rain for three and a half years. And so somewhere in that window of Elijah waiting to go confront the prophets of Baal and uh, bring water back to the earth, this child dies. And it says the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. She was the one that was providing for Elijah. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. A couple weeks ago or last week, I can't remember when the brook dried up and I mentioned, you know, Elijah just watching day by day, a little less water, a little less water. This is more dramatic in the sense that it's a mom watching life go out of her son. It appears to be fairly rapid. I don't want to think in minutes, but it seems to be fairly quick because we have no record of prayer happening up to this point, but somehow he's dying and she, she knows it. And again, to funerals, uh, the funerals are one part of the process. Sometimes we've been bedside or in a home of somebody, you can just see the life leaving them. And this poor mom is watching that happen to her own child. Um, And you would think, but you'd be wrong, but you would think, how much is enough for this lady? You know, she had already thought she was preparing her last meal for her and her son, And just that desperation. And then Elijah comes and God provides. And now this. Have you ever had that now this moment? Or what else could possibly go wrong moment? Uh, One of the principles we taught our boys as young as I can remember is life is not fair. Right? And it does seem like for some people it just piles on. It just seems like time after time after time. I don't want to give names, but recently there was a famous soccer player who was injured in her last game, and she said, this is proof that God doesn't exist. She said, I'm a good person. This shouldn't happen to me. She used more colorful language than I'm using, but she said, this is proof that God doesn't exist. Well, I think right here in this story, we have, you know what, proof that God does exist. He just doesn't always work the way we want him to. And so here you have a dead child, scene one. Curtain closes, scene two, a distraught mother, as you can imagine. Verse 18, she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Well, I don't have any record in there, nor do I think that Elijah did anything to the child. 
And I do think there's an insight, especially for people that don't know the Lord, um, are hard to the Lord to blame God for things, right? And so she, whether it's his holy life or she just knows he claims to be a prophet of God, somehow she thinks that Elijah has brought this on. And there's spirituality and religion, the Baal people and all this. I'm sure she's trying to figure out what's going on. I'm sure she's distraught, as I said. But somehow she thinks this is Elijah's doing. Think about the inconsistency of that, though. Elijah was the one who saved her life in the first place, or at least God through Elijah. But people are not rational, especially when bad things happen like this. And so She's questioning why would, basically, she's, I don't think she's blaming Elijah as much as she's blaming Elijah's God. She's like, why would God let this happen? Then she says this point, and this is where I, I got to with the Lord's Supper. Well, this scene's a little longer. Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Okay. This is big because if you read the commentators on this, there are all kinds of speculation on what her sin may or may not have been. But her words are telling, I think, and this is again why I asked you to think about your funeral and standing before a holy God and where you will spend eternity. We do a good job of forgetting our sins. Of, now, she's not a, I don't believe she's a believer at this point. Romans tells us that um, even non-believers, their conscience convicts them. They know there's sin there, but we do a very good job, I think, of just ignoring our sin, forgetting our sin, time and no immediate consequences allow us just to go on like it's not that big a deal or whatever. She is confronted with, and again, there's all kinds of speculation on this, is what was her sin, but something has come to her mind, it appears. And she connects it with the death of her son. I think there's even a, a realization, even in an unbeliever, that sin causes death, that there's a penalty to sin in her mind, her yet unbelieving mind, is that somehow there's a sin responsible for this. And it's the prophet who she blames, not only of bringing the death of the child, but reminding her of her sin. And so let's play this out for a second, because this is important to what we did with the Lord's Supper. It's important to how we come to God and all that. There is a record of every one of our sins. You need to know that. She may have forgotten it until this moment, but something there, remember I told you a few weeks ago when Elijah just asked for some bread or some water, that he didn't know that that simple question would tap into that tragedy going on at home in her life. He just, there's, there's things under the surface. I think there's sin under the surface too. And we again can convince ourselves or busy ourselves into thinking, I don't need to deal with that. But every sin, every careless word, the Bible tells us, is recorded. Okay? Sometimes there are reminders of sins, like in this case. Some commentators speculate, and I wouldn't begin to have confidence in this, but it's possible that somehow the birth of this child might be connected to a sin in the past. You can think of David and Bathsheba and the son that was born for that. And so maybe it's just the death of this son that's bringing that on. The beauty of the gospel, and we've already observed it, is that there can be payment for that sin, and we don't have to pay it if we ask Christ to pay it. And it can be removed, and in this case, she's being reminded of it, but God says, I will remember it no more. So her, just this reminder of sin is like a, 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 a Pandora's box of, oh, let's think about this for a second. Let me give you some Bible verses and a pretty long quote. 
2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Hebrews 9.27, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. There's an old uh, commentator, uh, theologian named F.B. Meyer. He lived when uh, movies were coming on, when talking pictures were coming on. Okay, just think of the, the disconnect. Here we are with our smartphones and just know everything in the world. His generation saw the connection, and I, I, I didn't realize what a big deal this would be until he wrote about it, of everything you say and everything you do can be recorded someplace so that even after you die, that will be in existence. Okay? And so we think computers. He was just thinking motion pictures. And so this is a lengthy quote, but bear with me. This one woman's life, there was a dark deed which dwarfed all other memories of wrongdoing and stood out before her mind as a sin. She calls it my sin. What, is, what it was, we do not know. It may have been connected to the birth of that very son. It was probably committed long years before and had then filled her with a keen agony of mind. For conscience is not inoperative even in the hearts of children of the heathens like she is. She's not a, a believer. But years later, this sense of remorse, though it had become dulled and the conscious long outraged had grown benumbed, something that she had lost all recollection of came to light. We all have this wonderful faculty of dismissing from ourselves any unwelcome thought, just as men try to hide from themselves the two evident symptoms of a disease which is sapping, sapping the forces of their life. And then he talks about these movies. I have a theory, and it's not a, probably a good one, but that when we have dreams at night, that everything we've said and done and thought is in our brain somewhere, right? They say we use 10%. I'm not even sure we get up to double digits at all, but, you know, it's, just, it's up there. And I do think when eternity comes, when God says, do you remember when you said that? In the light of eternity, I will remember when I said that. Today, I may easily forget that I ever said that. I may not even recognize that I said that, but there will be record in there that I said that. Okay, that's my little theory. But I do know God remembers if I don't. Well, here's the beauty and here's the verses. Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Okay? Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And Jeremiah 31, 34 talks about this new covenant we've already severed. It says, I will, the forgiveness of wickedness and the remembrance of sin no more. Now here's what's happening in this woman's life and here's what has to happen in your life and my life too. As long as it's not remembered, I don't know it's forgiven. Okay? If, you're not, if you're not a believer, if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, the day will come when you'll have to pay the price for your, for your sin. Okay? If you are a believer, Jesus has paid that, but you need to understand you don't know you're forgiven and clean until you confess something. If I have not confessed myself a sin before God, I may wonder, does he really forgive me for that? Because I've never talked to him about it, right? 
So here's how the Bible taught, and I want to connect two things. First of all, 1 John 1, 8, 9, and 10. Many of you know this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Okay? Like it or not, every one of us has sinned and the wages of sin is death. But if we confess our sins, he purifies us, he cleanses us. Here's the second verse, and it's tied to Elijah. James tells us this, James 5, 16 and 17. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Okay? One of the beautiful things about the body of Christ is that I can confess my sins to God before other believers. And it's, it's a way to verbalize, it's a way to make that happen. Now, I'm not asking you to walk up to strangers and say, you're never going to believe what I did last week. Okay? This comes in those relationships that you build in the body of Christ, those discipleship relationships, those trusted people in the body of Christ. You confess them to one another. And then James goes on to say, right in connection with that confession, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Somehow James connects the confession of sins with the power of prayer and remember, Elijah, who was one day going to pray against the prophets of Baal, is spending his time now with a widow and her son. And he's learning, I think, that it's not about him. It's about prayer. It's about the God who can do things. If God can raise a boy from the dead, God can confront the prophets of Baal. But he's learning this in this intimate moment with this woman and her son. Which brings us to point three, or act three, how we're doing this, scene three, a deficient prophet. James tells us, Elijah was just like us. So he says in verse 19, give, us, give me your son, Elijah replied. And he took him from her arms. Just can imagine if she's clutching that boy. And carried him to the upper room. And there would have, as a guest in that home, Elijah would have had a, a, a room up top, outside. Um, lots been written about that too. Where he was staying and he laid him, the child, on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, you have brought tragedy, okay? He knows that God's in control. It sounds like he's blaming God, and, but he's at least, he, he's, he understands that God's the giver of life and death. And he says, God, not that this is your fault, but you're responsible for this, God. And then he says, even on this widow I am staying with. He's almost saying, you would think of all the people on the planet right now, that this woman who gave up her last meal for me wouldn't have to go through this. Again, life is not fair. Some of the most blessed saints go through the greatest tragedies. And some of the worst scoundrels never seem to have anything touch them. Right? And so Elijah's just calling that it doesn't make sense that this widow and her son would be in this predicament by causing her son to die. God had allowed the brook to dry up, the little river to dry up. God had not allowed the flour and the oil to dry up. But one thing I do think Elijah, or God is doing here is he's allowing Elijah to dry up. He's bringing Elijah to the point that he is emptied of himself. That he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't even know how to pray. If you're a believer and you've ever asked 
been entrusted with somebody else's situation. Sometimes you don't know what to say. You don't want to betray God, but you have no answer for what's going on. It doesn't make sense. And Elijah, because remember, he's going to be the hero here in a minute. He's going to call down, you know, fire from heaven and rain from heaven. But right now he's learning there are some things that people can't do. Even a great prophet like Elijah. And so I think Elijah is brought to the end of himself. He's desperate at this case. When I said he's a deficient prophet, God's always known that, but Elijah needs to learn that. It's not about he can speak well or he can pray well. It's about he can't do anything unless God does it. So God is able, and to the extent that you are succeeding or enjoying life, it's by God's grace. But I think God brings us to these moments where it's him or it's nothing. There's a section of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We, do, we have no power to face this vast enemy that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There's, sometimes that's the prayer you offer. God, we don't know what to do. I've got a dead child here. I'm running for my life, and you've provided in many ways, but we don't know what to do. We're just looking to you. Well, that's scene, whatever that is, three. Four is a dynamic prayer. We're in verse 21. Then he stretched out himself on the boy three times. Okay, there's a lot of argument. that he, it, The word is uh, stretched or surveyed or measured. Um, and there's lots of people that think it was an attempt at CPR to it was whatever, whatever, hoping that the warmth of his body would, you know, bring life to him or whatever. I've landed on where I think it is. I think it's a desperate prophet weeping over the child saying, I don't know what to do. He's just, he doesn't know what to do. He's somehow connected. If you think of this, he's connected to God and he's connected to this child that's dead. And Elijah begins to come in view here of a picture of what God does through Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ connects to us in such a way that he's human, and yet he's crying out for God to bring life, okay? And so whatever he does, he stretches out three times, and he cries to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. I don't know what else, you know, you can't pray anything else. Point four or five a death postponed. And I use the word postponed because like Lazarus, you know, this boy's going to die again. We're not told that story. But the Lord, it says in verse 22, heard Elijah's cry. That's a wonderful promise there. That when you don't know the answers, that you're even in some way pointing the finger at God and you cry out to him, God hears that cry. Says the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he was alive. So this is the first, by the way, recorded resurrection in the Bible. Which, if you think about Elijah's prayer, he can't go back and say, "Remember when you did this with Moses?" I mean, this is an unprecedented prayer request. He has no history. He has no word of God that says, hey, if you pray for a dead person, I'm going to raise him from the dead. This is faith, you know, on display. I wonder what that boy thought after that. I wonder what Elijah thought after that. I wonder what the mom thought after that. What would you think after that? Let's be serious here. I mean, not that we haven't been serious, but think about it. Would you be grateful? Right? 
Would you be thankful? Would you do whatever you could for the man of God now? Isn't that what we do as Christians? We have been given life from death for all eternity. Shouldn't we be grateful? Shouldn't we be serving him with all our heart? There's lots of, some people think this boy was Jonah. I don't think it is. But they're trying to find a place for this boy someplace. But we may be a clue in a few verses, a few weeks from now, Elijah is going to have a young man called his servant, not Elisha, that runs with him and sends for his cloak and stuff like that. There's a lot, and I think this is more valuable than the Jonah speculation, is that it could have been that this boy then gave his life to serving the one that saved him. Speculation, tradition, yes. But we should do the same thing. The one who saved us, it, we should be grateful and serving and give him all that we have. Well, point six is there's a delightful reunion. Verse 23 says, Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. And he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. What a great picture that is, right? John tells us this, that your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. So they've been eating this bread, and yet the child died. But Jesus says, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. That's what we celebrated and observed with the Lord's Supper. There will be someday among believers a wonderful reunion. I ask you to think about your funeral. I'm not sure, I'm not promising, but I may use 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 through 4, 20, 17 through 24 at your funeral. Because if you think of what's going on here, it's exactly what a Christian celebrates or, or is encouraged by at a funeral. We're all going to stop breathing someday, like this child. We're all going to die. All our sins are going to be accounted for one way or another, and Christ are on us. At some point, those still alive will give their loved one to the Lord. You just entrust like the boy went with Elijah. You just trust that your loved one is with the Lord. And that prophet, Jesus, will carry him to his home where he's prepared a place for him. And he will intercede with the Father on behalf of that person. And we have eternal life because of what Christ has done. And someday those who know Christ will be reunited with their loved ones. And we will have, as this woman has, the realization that the word of the Lord is true. Which brings us to point seven, a destiny changed. Then the woman said to Elijah, remember earlier on in this, she said, you're God. Now she's claiming God for herself. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. I think we have the same confidence. But it's all centered around whether we trust Jesus Christ. Elijah is somewhat of a picture of Christ in all of this. So I, I started this way and I'll end. I want you to think about not your funeral per se, but your death. Your sins will be accounted for one way or another. I pray that you can celebrate with me that Jesus Christ took those sins. If you've not done that, it is as easy as this. You ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you've been reminded of a sin right now. That you know there's something that does not honor God. Confess it to the Lord. Find a place where you can confess it to other people. 
And if you are a believer, let's be thankful for what he's done for us. But also let's be honest about the sins that might come to mind and be quick to confess them and quick to repent. We celebrate, rightly so, the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. That was unnecessary if we didn't sin in the first place. It was our sin that allowed God to be glorified through that. So the more we confess, the more we're honest with God, the more glory Jesus Christ gets. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Um, You saw fit to record this story in the Bible about this widow who, um, boy, just what else could have happened to her? And yet through the death of her son, you, you proved faithful. And just as literally you brought life to his body, you give us life eternally. God, help us not to dabble in sin, to take it lightly, to push it aside, but to be honest with you and with others about our struggles and our sin. Because God, you have made a way through that. You've paid the price on your son, Jesus Christ. And like that boy, again, may we be grateful for what you've done. I know we will be in eternity. God, we will praise you for this. May we have that same attitude now. And may we serve you with every ounce of energy we have. Thank you for making a way even through death and sin by your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen.